Welcome back to the 90-Minute School Day, the podcast that explores options in alternative education to make learning more engaging and effective for both parents and kids. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards, and today we are discussing an essential ingredient to have in your homeschooling toolbox, the critical tool of observation. School is out. Natural learning is in. Hey there, I am Kelly Edwards, your host of this podcast and creator of the 90-Minute School Day. This is not your typical homeschooling podcast. Here, you will find out-of-the-box stories from the trenches, trainings, tools, and tips to guide you forward. Yes, I like alliteration. We will also share results and mindset shifts to support you in your journey of living and learning alongside your out-of-the-box neurodiverse kids. I'm so glad you're here. Today's topic of observation is how we can begin to understand our child for the purpose of closer relationship and to really gain an understanding of their strengths, their giftedness, their superpowers. This is how we best equip our children on their learning path. All right, before we get into it, let's back up a second. Back to how humans learn. We did discuss this in detail in episode one. But just as a refresher, our relationship with self is the number one way that human beings learn. In her book, The Gardener and the Carpenter, Alison Gopnik explains we learn first through personal observation and experience. That makes a lot of sense. It is through this process we gather firsthand information about ourselves, our world, and our place in it. The second way she describes that we learn as humans is through the power of testimony. What is that? Testimony is shared through relationship with others and communication. So this looks like when we are in an interpersonal relationship with someone else, that might be in conversation. However, we can also communicate with people when we are not in person, and we do this through the power of the written word, the spoken word, other forms of media. You get the idea. And so when we look at testimony, testimony tells us about things that are maybe far into the past or something really small that we haven't personally observed, or perhaps something that's bigger than us or farther away physically in space and time. So all of these uh, communications that we receive from people or from audio, visual, uh, writing, reading, all of these come from testimony of others. And that's how we learn about history. That's how we learn about science Allison's book is a great read. I've linked it in the show notes for your convenience. We will be using this concept of how humans learn through observation and experience, as well as through testimony via relationship in our training today on observing our children. To open today's show, fellow home educator Leslie shares how her confidence grew through her practice of observation. Do I feel confident in this process? I actually do. It's been a year now, and it's definitely been a journey, but I've actually enjoyed it a lot. 
So Sammy's five years old and unschooling is new to us, but play and education is not. And what I love so much about this journey and the confidence that I'm continuously building is that he gets to play and learn and explore and discover and wander and ask and inquire and everything all on his own. It's his own natural learning path. And every day I get to see the love and joy that remains in his eyes. Have I always felt this confident? No. There were certainly times when I would question the process. I am an educator. And there were times when I just would wonder, well, should I be doing more? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And then there were the naysayers and those who questioned the process. But I can honestly say that I stood my ground. I continued the journey because I saw how happy my son was. I saw how relaxed learning was and how so much learning was happening each and every day in organic and natural ways. And so, yeah, my confidence is growing. I have a tribe that helps me, that I learn from and I grow from. And I am so excited about what will come next. I'm Leslie, and you could be more about our homeschooling journey on my blog, watchmonkeymama.com. Today's training is also combined with today's tools. We usually do a training first and then talk about the tools that apply to the training that you can experiment with and try implementing in your homeschool. But today, just to keep with a better flow, we're going to have the training and the tools interspersed in the same section. All right, we all know what it's like when we're looking to buy or sell a home, and it's all about location, location, location. Well, in homeschooling, I like to say it's all about observation, observation, observation. In the past two episodes, we've talked about the importance of rooting your homeschool in relationship, knowing how to identify and escape the, the comparison trap, and we've also discussed the different environments that foster learning. Metaphor time. Bing, 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 bing. I love a good metaphor. So in episode two, we talked about environments and how I used a house metaphor to think through the three types of environments. The first environment that we experience as human beings is actually not physical. It's relational. And that's the foundation of our house metaphor. The basement of safety is really grounded in relationship. And that's where we go when storms arise and things feel unsafe. The first floor of uh, environments for learning is full of physical spaces and resources for family learning and collaboration. That's where your kitchen is, your living room, things like that. And then the second floor, the third area of your environmental learning spaces is the environment of time. So this is to protect and allow each individual to explore their interests and develop their natural talents. So those are the three areas that you need in a good homeschooling environment. You need relationship environments, you need 
physical environments, and then you also need those time environments. The final part of this house metaphor is the roof, and the roof is observation. Observation is looking into someone else's world. We don't experience it with them, but we can observe their experiences and we can observe their observations. And this will guide us in the natural learning process along with conversations with our child. So that is how we are taking this whole opportunity today to talk about observations and learning and we're meshing them together. Let's jump in on how we can effectively observe and follow our child. Okay, this should go without saying, but obviously we need to observe and then document. (laughs) But what do I actually mean by that? What I mean is to observe their play and activities at home and also away from home. This is how they are learning. So we need to, as parents, observe their observations and experiences and pay close attention to those conversations that they share with us all day long. And then we also need to observe their encounters with others and the testimony that they're receiving from those interpersonal relationships and then other media forms that they take part in throughout the day. We want to be the student of our child. We want to take notes. So do what works for you. If it's in your phone, if it's in your head, if you need to jot them down in a journal, or just perhaps review the pictures that you've taken over the week and make notes. So put this time into your schedule like an appointment, especially if this is a new practice for you. It will habituate and become part of your normal process in time. And This should go without saying, but this isn't to be a long and arduous activity. It's just something that you make a note of when you're seeing it. Take five minutes at the end of the day on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be daily. Or perhaps for you, it's just easier to reflect back on your week when you have like a more quiet day, hopefully on the weekend. Something that works for you that you can keep in the habit of that is not going to create friction in your life, but something that you can implement. And um, then that power of observation will grow and automate. As part of our training today, we want to talk about observation in two categories, when your child is regulated and when they are not regulated. Your child is regulated when they are in their thinking brain. They're calm, they're enjoying themselves, they're laughing, they're engaging, all of these kind of positive, uh, social, socially positive signs that we see in our children, whether they are interacting with us one-on-one, they're interacting with other children, perhaps it's a family activity, a group activity, something that is structured or unstructured, but they are regulated. A great way to observe them is when they are in a thinking or flow state. So they're totally regulated and they are at play either solo or with other kids. Dr. Peter Gray, researcher and author on education and play, breaks play into an activity that has five characteristics. So look for these five characteristics while your child is engaged in some form of activity. And the first thing you will notice is that your child has self-chosen or self-directed the activity. That's number one. The second characteristic you're looking for is it is done for its own sake. In other words, the child is engaged in it and no one told them to do it. 
Dr. Gray points out that this is where children discover their passions. The third characteristic of play is it always has rules. Those rules are structured by the children themselves. The fourth thing is that play is always creative or imaginative. This is an important distinction to make when a child is engaged in an activity that is number one, self-chosen, number two, done for its own sake, number three, it always has rules that have been constructed by the child, and it's creative or imaginative. And the fifth thing is it is always conducted in an alert but non-stressed state of mind. I just think that's such a great clarifying point to notice is when our child is in in an alert or non-stressed state of mind. They are regulated and they're not stressed because they can always quit because that goes back to number one. It is self-chosen and self-directed. There is no judgment. It is something that the child is doing for the sake of the activity. All right, you can read more about Dr. Gray and his work on psychologytoday.com or in his book, Free to Learn, which is linked in the show notes. Beginning observation is always easiest before we move on to observing in a dysregulated state is always easiest when we step back and non-intrusively observe our children. The reason is that children often engage with us if we make our presence known. Observe these states as best as you can to really gain an understanding of your child and recognize that it is best to observe the child in their natural state of flow. (laughs) If you make yourself known by accident, it's okay. This is a practice. And so we just get to try it again over and over and make a notice of how that went down if you made your presence known by accident. But yes, we want to be watching the child when they are regulated, when they are in their solo play and with others, that gives us a lot of information on their inner life and what they're truly interested in much more so than when they are engaged in an activity that has been chosen by someone else or that we have chosen. It's good to notice those things as well, but that doesn't give us as much personal information about our child as observation of them when they are directing their own play or they are directing play with children that is just child-led. That's kind of what we're thinking about in the regulated state is looking at the child when they are at solo play or self-chosen play with other children. Do you like learning with me on the podcast? Consider joining the waitlist for guide training. This cohort coaching series meets twice a year in the fall and spring. We gather here together, learning in community, to be a guide, not a teacher. Guides don't do it for you. They help you do it for yourself. Guides go with you. Guides lead when it gets tricky and confidence is lost. They hold your hand when you need it. They walk beside you in relationship. Guides follow and cheer you on as you lead the way. Get the guidance you need to guide your homeschool. Learn more about guide training and join the waitlist by clicking the link in the show notes. On to our second type of observation. We observe when children are regulated, and the second thing we observe is when they are not regulated because all kids hit states of dysregulation, just like me and you. What is dysregulation? Besides a meltdown or a tantrum, dysregulation could be signs um, shown by whining, crying, yelling, emotional shutdown, dissociation. They can be unfocused. They can be restless or hyperactive. They can be preoccupied. 
They can be moving away from you or moving away from the activity. Perhaps they're having difficulty with the task. They might be zoned out or daydreaming. They may be able to unmove or feeling stuck. They might have an urge to hide. They might want to isolate. All of these are signs of dysregulation. Uh, I do want to kind of track back a little bit and talk about the difference between a meltdown and a tantrum. A meltdown is caused by the activation of the nervous system. So this is a physical manifestation of what is happening in this child's nervous system. And that's good to notate. A tantrum is behavioral. That is something that is more cognitive and the child is deciding to do. So both of those are states of dysregulation and are important to note, but it's clarifying to be able to identify is my child tantruming right now or having a meltdown. When our children are dysregulated, we want to establish safety first for ourselves, our children, anyone else in the home. Then we want to make sure that we are regulated. And then we want to help our child co-regulate and bring them back to a state of regulation. Once we've done that, it's important to kind of go back and that is the time to observe. When everybody is back to regulation, think about and tag or write down what happened to bring about the dysregulation? What were the circumstances leading up to that? What were the behaviors? What time of day it is? When you start to do observation and noticing this habit, this practice, you start to notice trends and that's the purpose of observation. So you want to look for the circumstances, the behaviors, the time of day, the transition. If one was happening, oftentimes transitions cause a lot of big, um, feelings, a lot of big behaviors and dysregulation. So circumstances, behaviors, time of day, transitions, and then think about like who was in the vicinity of the child when the meltdown or the just dysregulation, it might've just been crying when that occurred. And then the last thing is to think about the last time they ate and how much rest they've had. All of this gathers data that gives us information on that particular episode of dysregulation for the purpose of helping this child know themselves better, to advocate for what they need, and to help us understand what's going on so we can better co-regulate them, diminish some of that regulation hopefully in the future. Okay, so we are noticing the regulation state of mind and the dysregulation state of mind. Those two areas are good to categorize your observations. And that helps us get a full picture of what's going on with our particular child. I believe that everything has a dual nature. Therefore, how a child operates when they are regulated is a key to unlocking and assisting in dysregulation. So when we're observing whether they're dysregulated or regulated, make sure to notice the following four areas. You want to notice their strengths, okay? The second thing you want to notice is the challenges that, that they're undergoing. The third thing is you want to notice their progress from a prior time of observation, Okay, and that can be progress forward, or it could also be a regression in progress. And then the fourth thing you want to notice is their activity and environment. Were the environment and activity self-chosen or not? So in those four areas, we can always kind of throw that grid over our observations, which gives us more information to help us along. And this is all really a great 
tool to use while you're de-schooling. So if you are just recently leaving a school at home approach or the school system itself, observation is the number one thing you can do for your child. Academics can always wait. They can be a, a shorter and smaller portion of your day while you spend the academic study time on your end, learning your child and allowing them to have freedom and time to pursue interests will regulate them in and of itself, kind of reducing a lot of demands on your schedule. So once we have made observations, we can use them then to resource and converse with our child. So this is kind of how observations lead into resourcing our children in self-directed learning. We want to resource and converse with our children regularly about their interests and the circumstances we've observed. Resourcing and conversing works for the regulated and the dysregulated state. What do I mean by that? Obviously, if the child is dysregulated, then the first thing we need to do is to help regulate them, and this is best done with co-regulation. But once they are regulated, we want to continue to resource them with people and time and things that can help them develop their interests, but also help them develop their own regulation skills in these areas. Resourcing is best done alongside with our children, conversing with them in that regulated state. It not only fosters relationship, but we can gain a better understanding of their lived experience through conversing with them. It's that testimony learning, right? Understanding their felt safety. I don't actually know how someone else's feel, someone else feels in that moment. I can understand that everybody is safe in my home, but they might not feel safe in their body because they are dysregulated in their nervous system. And so that's important information to talk to our child and to help them know how their body feels. Where are they feeling tight? Where are they feeling hot in their body? Those types of things. Their own observations are critical in this process. And this helps grow their own awareness. And it also helps them in their understanding of their own process. We can offer them um, lessons from our own experience, things that we have noticed in those observations, and share our larger inner resource library with them for future exploration and equipping. Some examples here of what this looks like to resource and converse. When we notice our child is self-directed or engaged in a play flow doing what they've chosen, we need to notice what the activity is, what is happening, how long they've been doing it, and then what do they enjoy most about it? These self-directed activities double as great tools that you can use to help them co-regulate and reset your child in the future. So for an example, my eight-year-old often colors and reads in her free time. She does a puzzle in her, in her self-chosen time. Um, she likes to play with her sister. We have a little menu written for her that when she feels upset, we've identified these activities as options for her to select to help her reset. If she needs a break, if she needs to be away from people, she needs a little sensory break, she can go put her noise-canceling headphones on, read a book, she can color. Another thing that is on her list is taking a bath. That resets her. 
So these are clues and resources that you can provide that will also expand their equipping of themselves and their interest. So if you know that your child likes puzzles, you can give them different types of puzzles. It can be a puzzle that's not a jigsaw puzzle. It can be a word puzzle. We can introduce these things once we've noticed that interest, and that's in the power of observation. The other thing we can do is we can empower our children to advocate for their own needs. So by having these conversations and these, and these resourcing times regularly, we can role play with our children and work with them to find a way that is comfortable for both our child and for us to communicate that they need a break. And the very best way to do this is to model it. I will often say out loud, I am feeling overwhelmed. I am overstimulated right now. Can I please be in this room by myself? And if they can't accommodate me, then I say, I need to go and be by myself. So I will be in my room for five minutes. I need a timeout. And so timeout in our home is more of a time that the person decides that they need to be left alone so that they can reset. So do what works for you. Do what works in your family. Those are some examples from my family on just how we communicate to one another that we need a break. And if I'm doing it, then that becomes more of the natural culture of our home that really empowers my children to also let us know verbally when they feel overstimulated or overwhelmed. And so we all do what we can at that point to support that family member. Our final talk in our training today is about reflection and response. We know that reflection is how people learn, and this is what we need to do in observation because we are learning our children. So we need to have time to reflect and respond. Understanding our child's unique learning pace is vital. So observation actually allows us to slow down and become sensitive to our child's individual progress. And kids learn in all sorts of different ways. Reflection allows us to respect their learning pace. Every child learns differently. We can avoid putting unnecessary pressure on them. That comparison trap, you know what I'm talking about. We put the unnecessary pressure on us and then We kind of pass that on to our kids to meet arbitrary timelines. Who says you need to learn how to do this by this date? It's not some magical timeline. Reflection allows us to release that because we're taking time to digest and think about things by observing our children's growth in different areas and by celebrating with them. So we want to celebrate accomplishments. We want to just, it can be as simple as I've just noticed how amazing your Lego creations have become lately. I noticed that that game that you have been working so hard at, you are at such a high level of that game. Something like that. I notice how much stronger your body is because you work hard every day climbing that tree. So we want to celebrate the small accomplishments. It can just be a verbal affirmation. It can be a notation. It can just be writing them a little note. And we want to embrace trial and error. Failure and frustration are some of our greatest teachers. And so finding the right balance in homeschooling or unschooling requires some experimentation for your child and for us as adults and the parents. So we don't need to be afraid to adjust our approach based on our child's feedback, our own observation and reflection process, and noticing their evolving interests and how they're developmentally moving along as they age in childhood. 
Do you enjoy listening to other homeschoolers share their stories and ask their questions? If you're like me, this is how you find new resources and perhaps experience new revelations. It is my deepest desire to share your story and your arrival to homeschooling, the struggles you've experienced, and also why you're still homeschooling. I'd love to elevate your family's unique learning journey for all of us to hear and learn from. I truly believe we have more in common than we have differences, and sharing our individual struggles and strengths is a way we can grow in empathy and understanding of one another perhaps even inspiring a new avenue of learning to embark on in our own learning lives. So let us hear from you. Click the link in the show notes and leave me a voicemail and be part of a future episode. Today's mindset moment is not just one mindset, but four. They're short, and I really believe that each of these mindsets is important to hold while we are observing our children. Number one is all behavior is communication. The second mindset is from Dr. Ross Green in The Explosive Child. He said, children do well when they can. I want to edit that a little bit to say that children and adults do well when they can. So give yourself grace. We all have hard moments. We all have hard times. We all get dysregulated. We all have tantrums. We all have meltdowns. So know this about yourself, that you do well when you can, and acknowledge that your child is doing well when they can. The third mindset to hold is assume competence. Assume competence for your children. Assume that they know what they're doing. Trust them. Allow them to go as far as you can stand push those boundaries and to push those risks. This is how children learn. We want to, of course, secure their safety and safety of property, but assume competence. They are so much more competent than we give them credit for, and we need to allow them the space to show us. The fourth and final mindset to hold when we're thinking about observing our children and homeschooling is to release the outcome. So often we have something in our head, an expectation or a belief that we just need to let go of. We need to release the outcome and just observe the process, observe this child and all of these mindsets. I hope that it is understood that safety of property and people is very important and we need to include those in these four mindsets. But as much as we are able to, we really need to hold on to all behavior is communication. Children and adults do well when they can. Assume competence of the other person and release the outcome. I think those are four important mindsets that we can hold every day as we do life besides our children. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you for being here as we talked about observing. And I just ask that you remember that observing and following your child's learning journey and homeschooling isn't about leaving them entirely on their own. Instead, it's about providing guidance and support that you've gained from those observations as they explore their interests and passions. We're allowed to be with them in relationship and resourcing them and helping guide them on their journey. Thank you for tuning in to the 90 minute school day. We hope you have found these tips helpful in nurturing curiosity and fostering a love of knowledge in your child's educational experience. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned in this episode. 
and stay tuned for more episodes where we explore alternative education approaches and tools to make learning more enjoyable for parents and kids. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with others who might find it beneficial. Until next time, keep embracing the joy of learning.